Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Looking forward to this conversation, as I do every single Payrolls Friday. Alan Kruger, Princeton's very own and one of the finest labour market economists on the planet. Alan, you would never say that about yourself, so I'll say it for you. Good morning. Good, good morning, John. How hey, is the labour market? Chairman Powell says it's very strong. Is uh, that your conclusion? I see it the same way. Uh, the indicators are, are quite robust for the job market. ADP report was strong. I suspect we'll get another strong job market report this morning. Payroll's growth is strong. Wage growth is starting to come through. What's fascinating about this is the wider market is pricing out Federal Reserve action through 19. The wider market is repricing inflation expectations at a time when the labor market is kind of getting better and better, Alan, not worse. You know, the market moves in mysterious ways. And I think when you have an administration which isn't clear on its goals, not clear on its messaging, that just adds to the volatility. You sound terrible. I mean, are, are you going to go? Do they have doctors in Princeton, or do you have to come up to Manhattan to, to see an MD? You okay? I think I'll make it through the day. Okay, I'll make. We, I had the plague about a week and a half ago, and you know they uh, they fixed it for me. It's amazing. You know, we take for granted all what? these wonder drugs, but they fixed it for what, me. What do you recommend, Tom? Because ten I year, I wouldn't help. go with a twelve year. Ten years <laughs> more more direct. Uh, seriously, the, the the miracles of our. Uh, antibiotic industry seem to work for this uh, plague. Professor Kruger, uh, that's great, except all my mail disagrees with you. Here's the key question, and I don't know if it's Gaussian, I don't know what distribution you want to use, I'll let you use it. Okay, wages are up 3%, or is it all in 10 or 12, 20 or 30% of the public, and the other 70% or 80% really aren't seeing a wage gain? Well, certainly for the last 30 years, the growth has been at the top. And uh, I understand completely and agree with the mail that you're getting because for a very long time, the job market has not worked well. It's only because this recovery has gone on for such a long time So to time translate period. here, there's people listening who are getting 5 and 6 and 7% wage increases, and there's a whole heck of a lot of people getting that onesie-twosie thing going. Well, a lot of people don't get an increase at all. Um, it has been the case over the last three, four years that the bottom has started to do better, and we're seeing more broadly shared gains, which is what you expect when the economy is very strong. Can we talk about the potential for job losses in the auto sector? Job losses Good potentially question. in the oil sector as well, <clears throat> potentially big job losses again. Alan, how do you factor that into your thinking, not just for today's number, but over the next several months, the next few quarters? You know, I think that this is about as good as it gets. The uh, economy was expanding when President Trump came to office, then it went on a sugar high. And I think partly what the market's reacting to is this is the end of the sugar high. It's coming back down to ground. And <clears throat> I think what we're seeing in the announcement at GM, for example, is a harbinger of what's likely to follow. Is it the rate of change that is concerning people as we go back towards trend growth? Or is it the expectation, the fear that we're not going back towards trend growth, we're going back to somewhere worse? Well, trend growth is very low. Trend growth is probably below 2%. And you don't always stay right on trend. You bop around that trend. So I think it's a realization, and I think uh, many investors probably should have known this all along, 
that we were just in this temporary sugar high because of the uh, unsustainable tax cuts and the extra spending that took place over the last year. The speed at which we get there, I think, is going to be critical to how markets respond to it. How does this work, just in terms of an economy getting a fiscal high, extra stimulus, three-handle, four-handle on GDP, then what, and how quickly does that change? Well, you know, I think John Williams said yesterday that managing a soft landing is the real challenge. And it's like <clears throat> landing an airplane in very turbulent weather. And even worse, because we've landed lots and lots of airplanes, we have lots of indicators on the plane. When it comes to the economy, we're flying a bit more unknown. You have a textbook at Princeton by a guy named Blinder in the Arch William Bomo, the, the, the late Bill Bomo. And it's gone through 4,000, I think it's the 12th, 13th, 14th edition, whatever it is. And in there, I would respectfully suggest, uh, Professor Kruger, is uh, a Fed always, in every way, really afraid not to make the right decision. The number one thing they don't want to do is to make a decision and then have to bring it back and say, oops, we were wrong. How big is that emotion right now? How big is the oops, we don't want to be wrong tone? To me, it's huge. You know, it looks to me like they're going through uh, reconsideration. They have some new blood on the committee. People are bringing in different perspectives. The economy has changed. And I think they're <clears> using <throat> this as a moment to think about whether they want to pause or, or Art, change their outlook. We started the week with Vice Chairman Clarida, and, and you're one of the few out there that can keep up with the dynamics of Gertler and Clarida and, and Gali and DSGE and the rest of the fancy uh, mathematics. Great. Do the models work right now? Certainly Vice Chairman Clarida has a new humility through the financial crisis. Do the models work now? Are we model building or are we guessing building? You know, the problem with the economy is the model's not stable. So the parameters oh, that we estimate, that they yeah. move around. And I think some things you can count on, but you don't know when you can okay. count on them. Then the unit labor costs. How does labor fold into the instability of a three-ratio productivity study? Well, I think the real question, and Rich Clarida raised it, is are we seeing a supply-side effect? Are we seeing a more... Uh, a permanent increase in productivity growth. Uh, I don't think that that's likely to happen. I could be wrong about that. We'll see. But I think that's uh, the, the the big question for the Fed right now. Alan Kruger, get some rest after your star tour here at Bloomberg. Alan Kruger, he's a professor of economics at uh, Princeton University, the former chairman of the President's Council of Economic Advisors for uh, the previous. I mean, for uh, Alan, president. this is like the Super Bowl, and he's pulled a muscle. You know, it's that big for Alan every single month. You know, to start losing your voice on payrolls Friday, it's cruel. You know, I got to say, this is my first time in your new studio. Do you like it? And I'm very impressed. I feel like I'm in a space capsule here. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I was going to say, because of the rumors about the chief of staff, is I worked for four different chiefs of staff. And the saying that they all have among themselves is, it's more of staff than chief. It's a very difficult job. Well, well give us some color on that. What is the greatest burden of a chief of staff to any given president? Well, the Just managing, the hours? The, no, the, the people who take that job work long hours, and they know yeah. that they're not going to see their family for a long time. Somebody like Dennis McDonough, uh, who had small kids, um, really threw himself into it. 
Um, and that's just the way he runs his life. Uh, I think it's that you have so many different personalities you have to manage. You don't have line authority. Uh, you're speaking for the president, and if you lose the confidence of the president, you really don't have anything Very good. to, to Fascinating. M move the members of the cabinet or the rest of the administration. And a general from the Marine Corps not having line authority is a unique, uh, original experience, I'm sure. Alan Kruger, thank you so much. My market observation was just to be absolutely stunned yesterday. See the two-year yield down by 10 basis points at one point yeah. in the session. And, and wondering how could that be when we already had such dovish pricing for the Federal Reserve and surely there would be limited downside on two-year yields. That didn't seem to matter in yesterday's session. We erased some of that move by the close. But I thought it was really interesting. And what I find fascinating at the moment is the extent to which this market is willing to price out both inflation and Federal Reserve action through 19 to literally nothing and also yeah. put December in play. I mean, are we really considering that the Federal Reserve may not raise interest rates in I'm, a couple of weeks? I, I'm willing to say it is a discussion point of media types and their guests, but it's really mentally not on the table yet. Well, the market, this never mind the I media types, the market James is pricing Glassman it is out. Nodding, the market is I pricing it out. I want to bring in Jim Glassman, J.P. Yeah, Morgan he's Chase. Nodding. That was a Glassman nod. <laughs> there was an amb ambiguity to that nod. The media's discussing it, Jim, but the market's pricing it. Why? Yeah. Um, I, I personally think they go ahead and it'll feel dovish because they will acknowledge it's either. Uh, now that, as, as Powell said last week, uh, we're now on the low end of the range of they, what they think is neutral. So. Uh, the closer you get to what you think neutral is, the more cautious you're going to be. And, and the, to me, the new news, the important news in the last several months has really been the inflation trend is not is actually moderating a bit. And what's important about this is when you think about where we were at the beginning of the year, all this burst of activity that was going on in the economy, people thought, oh, my gosh, we're overheating. And there is nothing you're seeing that makes you feel like you're overheating. So I think that was an important change in the mindset. And I think that's what's making the Fed a little more cautious, a little more open-minded. You can be more careful. You don't have to be in such a rush when you're not that far from where you think neutral is. Yeah, but Jim, there's not rushing and then there's standing still. The market's starting to price standing still in yeah. 2019. Yeah, that's probably, uh, you know, in the moment, that, that probably it reflects the psychology of what's going on right now with the equity market down and people worried about and oil down. And, you know, people, we tend to exaggerate the impact of that. But at some point, you start looking at the underlying trends in the economy. The economy is doing fine, as Powell says. The job market is really strong. At some point, it makes sense to keep work, inching your way toward some level that you don't think is going to cause a problem for financial system. So I think this is, I, I think the market will actually, the market has been on the right side of this actually for the last couple of years. They've been pricing in cautious. And it turns out that that's been the right idea compared to what many of us economists have thought. Well, let's take the economist view for 2019. ECFC is the function on the Bloomberg where you can get this snapshot, quickly capture yeah. the median estimate of economist forecasts for various countries. I've picked up on the United States and here are the forecasts for 19. Median estimate GDP, 2.6%. Unemployment essentially lower than it is now. Yep. That's the median forecast from, yeah. from the street. 3.6% yeah, is where that, people think unemployment will be in 2019. So that's pretty much been the view. Basically in line. Yeah, with that, that's the been moment. the view all year, really. It hasn't changed much. Back to trend growth on GDP. 
Not quite, quite because that. unemployment coming that. lower means we're predicting slightly faster growth than 2. potential. 2.6%. Yeah. So just slightly above trend growth. But back towards trend growth, I right. think, is where we're yeah, headed yeah, yeah. here. None of that sounds dreadful. No. When you look at the corporate forecast for corporate profits, we're talking about high single-digit yeah. profit growth. Yeah, That's but profit shares too. are at all-time record highs. So this is what it's not the growth that matters so much. We're at full employment with a very high profit share. But Jim, I think the market is obsessed with the rate of change. I know they it are. Is, it is how they, quickly do we get back to these levels? See how it goes levels. to calculus on a Friday. I know people. People and, always focus on the wrong derivative. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. If you took calculus, you would sort of you get the idea. Well, this is this is sort of embedded in our thought process at the Fed. Yeah. Sometimes the growth rate matters. Sometimes it doesn't. It depends on where you are in the rhythm of relative to full employment. Right. So to me. Here's the big idea. See, here's the problem. When you look at history, what it tells you is that when we get to full employment, we don't stay there more than a year or two. So in my mind, what we are all are predicting <clears throat> is like the ideal setup because what you don't want to see is an economy running hot when you get to full employment. So there's nothing wrong okay. with slow down growth. I, and, and, and Jim, I hope you tune into John Farrell's property, The Real Yield, where they always do calculus. When, when is that, John? When does this queue up? It'll on? be uh, 1 p.m. Eastern 1 time. 1 p.m. Bloomberg Television. And it'll be recorded and played out through the weekend 14 well. times <laughs> this weekend as your eyes glaze over. Good Jim luck Glassman. market. This has been an ongoing issue. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're looking at the 10-year t- the yield here, oil, the gyrations. The mother of all gyrations was a certitude of experts that we would grow per month non-farm payrolls, 120, 150, there was gloom and doom, 110, whatever. Yeah. Why did that not happen? We, we are getting these phenomenal 180, 200,000, 216,000 moving averages. Yeah, I think people forget, there are these pockets of hidden unemployment out there that still, I think people thought, well, we're back to full employment, there's, what can you do? The underlying growth in the working age population is about 75,000 a month, and that's what making people think that's gotta be normal. But the truth is we have pockets of hidden unemployment, we still have that 25 to 34 year old uh, folks coming back in, but I suspect it, 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 these things are a lot more fluid. And I think when you have a burst of activity, there are people who you can pull back in. So I, I really think uh, we're all mystified by why the labor market is still growing as rapidly as it is. But the yeah. truth is, when you think about it, we've got 7 million jobs out there we can't fill. Got to get to the inflation dynamic, and energy's been a big part of that. Crude catching a little bit of a bit on WTI on a report from Reuters that Haran has agreed to an OPEC deal. Some conflicts, though, in terms of reporting, and this always happens via Vienna or Austria because it is actually just absolute chaos. And over the next hour, everyone will try and work everything out. But as far as we understand, according to Iranian delegate, Iran has not reached an agreement with OPEC. The <laughs> OPEC talks are ongoing. They're focused on the wording of the deal at the moment. But it looks but it's like up a dollar, we're, right? we're, we're reaching that point, Tom, where the chaos comes into the room chaos. and everyone tries to work out, do we have a deal? What's in the deal? What's the wording of that agreement? So it's going to take a little while for this to spill, but it looks like we're reaching that point where we're going to get some news, Tom. Hmm. I, I, to me, it's bizarre. Oh, it's ever, chaos in Vienna. Way? You've seen the room. It is, yeah, it I mean, is Anne Marie Horton. She, you know, what was great about Anne Marie is, is a diehard hockey fan. She was getting bounced around and was the, she? And she was pushing back. yesterday. She, she put an elbow up. It was Did like she? she was spinning around the for net. For listeners that don't know who Tom is talking crease. about, it is our Bloomberg TV reporter over in Vienna, Austria. She put an elbow. She put an elbow in somebody's chin. It was great. The the ref didn't see. So the Iranian delegate says lots of haggling still over the language of the deal. 
Sounds like central I, I bank communication, you know, I'm, doesn't I'm like, it? John, I'm like all Americans. I'm like, what's the damn price? Well, what is this going to cost me? You know, John Tucker has a Hummer too. That's all John cares about. What's the price at the Helix in New Jersey? That's well, at all the moment, he cares at about. At the moment, the price of a barrel is getting a little bit more expensive. We're up about 66 but we're cents at $80. I mean, 52.14 on WTI. I mean, Brent Jim Glass, we were hitting to 100, right? That's yeah, but Jim Glassman, it doesn't, it doesn't, Jim Glassman, it doesn't matter when you and I were dreaming of owning a VW Rabbit, does no, it? No. Rabbit Diesel. What you worried about was can I get the gas? Yeah, it, just be in line. Was this Thursday or Friday? Can I get in line to yes. get gas? And, and John, what's a liter of gas? What's a gallon of gas in London? A liter? Well, I go, know, to, go I to a gallon. I don't, I don't Five live bucks? there anymore. I, I think a pound, <clears throat> a pound 50 might do it. I don't know. I'll have to check for you. Pound 50. Michael Barr, that's, that's more. British to pound yeah. 50. Remember the Imperial gallon back in uh, oh, Canada? Oh, yeah. yeah that was, I couldn't figure that out. We're thrilled to bring in now Michael Darda. He is with MKM Advisors, does a terrific synthesis of economics into market participation right now. Uh, Michael, let us stay on the jobs uh, report for a bit here. I guess there's wage growth. I guess it was on plan, but none of my listeners believe it's a buoyant wage economy. Are they wrong? No, Tom, uh, they're not uh, totally wrong, but we are seeing a subtle subtle uh, strengthening on a year-over-year basis. So most of, for most of the economic expansion, hourly wage growth was around two. You know, we're running just above three year-over-year. That is above the rate of inflation, any way you measure it. So we yeah. are getting some real wage growth. It's not robust, but you know what? Productivity's been weak, and that's ultimately going to be the driver of real wage growth. So we're getting real wage growth that's low, but essentially in line with, you know, fairly weak productivity. Statistics. I called it. Turn to the uh, the Bloomberg screen, Michael. I know you're uh, working quickly there. Oil elevated off Vienna headlines, uh, the OPEC headlines. I'd also note the 210 spread really pretty stasis. Michael, let's launch across the good time that we have with you uh, into a broader discussion. The December 19th Fed meeting seems to be unusually important. Let's start with first principles. Why does December 19th matter? Well, it doesn't matter so much in and of, you know, the fact that the, the market still expects the Fed to, to tighten, to, to raise rates another 25 basis points, where it could be much more meaningful uh, would be whether, you know, it's a, it's a dovish hike or a hawkish hike, or there's simply no guidance at all. I think the Fed is going to need to start moving in the direction of maximum flexibility for next year. You know, the macro data has been pretty strong. This was a softer report, no yeah. doubt about it. Uh, but, you know, the market indicators, and forget the stock market <clears throat> for a moment, credit markets, right. inflation expectation, yield curves, money growth, are all telling the Fed that it's much closer to neutral. And, okay. you know, this this idea of overshooting neutral, which the Fed had been propounding in recent months, really needs to be taken off the table unless we want to face a policy. Okay, let's go there. I was going to do that in the next block, but we're going to do it in this block with Michael Darden. We're thrilled to do that. Michael, you cut your 
teeth on real and nominal analysis of our GDP and of what it means for everybody listening here. Nominal folks is the actual growth plus the inflation change. And then everybody in Michael's trade goes to real, goes to inflation adjusted analysis. John Williams, I think two speeches ago, really leaned into the efficacy of a nominal analysis. Do you agree? I do agree. I mean, ultimately, that's what monetary policy controls, nominal variables. Monetary policy does not control real variables over the long run. But over the short term, because of sticky wages, nominal shocks have real effects. That's why we have business cycles when the Fed makes a policy mistake. So I do think that's correct. I think it's a bit regrettable that Mr. Williams sort of threw this whole idea of the R-star overboard Um you know, the idea initially was that Fed, you know, basically just moves to neutral and then stops. In recent months, we've been hearing more about this idea of overshooting neutral, going into mm-hmm. a more restrictive zone to lean against easy credit market conditions, the push from fiscal policy and what some on the Fed believe is unsustainably low unemployment. Well, I would say each of those has been reversed now. Credit market conditions tightening. I think it's pretty obvious that whatever the push from fiscal policy is it's probably been overestimated, and no one really well, knows what the sustainable rate of unemployment is. Should should the non-sophisticates assume the system is broken if we have a Fed that should remain accommodative with minimal real yields out there? I mean, it's a fiction that there's actual real yields out there, and yet they're trying to target nominal growth, which you're suggesting to me is a moldy 4%-ish, isn't it? Yeah, I think we need to just forget about, you know, whatever the specific level of real yields is and focus more on what the policy goal is. So if nominal GDP growth right now is five and a half percent year over year, that's pretty hot. But forward looking markets are telling us it's going to be more four percent ish next year. Well, that's perfect. That's a soft landing. That's not a rate of nominal GDP that's going to generate much above two percent inflation. And whatever the yield real yield is, then so be it. So the goal should be focus on the nominal economy and be forward looking. Okay, that. how's the nominal economy? What's the MKM partners? Is it a two point is it a two point X percent plus inflation? What does that come out to? Well, next year is going to be slower, Tom. I think, you know, probably around four, maybe somewhat below four. So that's a slowdown from where we are now oh, at come five on. and a half percent nominal. Michael, Michael, nobody can get reelected with a 3.8% American economy. It doesn't matter what party they are. So they're going to beg Chairman Powell to what? Stop the rate hikes after December 19th? They'll give him the safe face of December 19th, and then that's it? Well, I, you know, Tom, I think so. I mean, look, if we're on a glide pack, path back to trend growth, the Fed's mission accomplished, essentially. You know, what is the point of tightening monetary policy? It's essentially to slow the economy back to trend. If forward-looking markets are telling us Mm -hmm. that that's already been accomplished, we don't really see it in the data so far, but we will, then the key is going to be not to overshoot. So forward-looking, that's the mission. Um, Let's link this over to get started on our next section, Michael Darda, with the equity markets, 24,947 on the Dow. I guess we've had a correction, and of course the volatility has been uh, absolutely extraordinary that we see futures flat right now, which is a recovery from where we've been. But is there a new opportunity because of a repricing of quality stocks? 
I think so, Tom. I mean, this has been a correction that's felt like a bear market because of the you know the pronounced weakness in cyclical groups. You know, many of which have fallen more yeah. than twenty percent. Technical definition of a bear market. The rally in the defensive sectors has propped up the overall market. So this correction certainly right. feels to investors a lot worse than the one we had in January and February and then again in April. So I do think, is, assuming that the Fed does call it quit soon enough and there's no recession, simply a slowdown, a return to trend growth, then there should be opportunities, right. particularly in some of these areas that have just been taken to the woodshed. Emerging markets down almost 30 percent from the highs yeah. of the year. Yeah. Home, home builders down around 40 so assuming there's no recession out there next right. year, meaning the Fed stops in time, there's some good opportunities well, for investors. As Mr. Darda speaks about the change uh, in what we see. Lisa Abramowitz, alongside Paul Sweeney of Bloomberg Intelligence. So happy to have you here today. A lot going on. A lot going on, and um, great, great, great to be here. There's a lot going on, not just uh, in media space, but just across the market with, uh, obviously, the jobs and, and oil and uh, all across the energy spectrum. We are being joined by Margaret Brennan. Of course, she uh, she hosts Face the Nation Sunday at 2 p.m. in New York, Washington, D.C., and now Bloomberg 1061 uh, Boston Newburyport. That's Face the Nation this Sunday. Margaret, thank you so much for being with us. So who is your guest on Sunday, and uh, how much do you think it really matters that John Kelly is expected to resign? Well, we have not only an onslaught of news, we have a lot of newsmakers on the show. So if we do see that, that shakeup in staffing and the replacement of the chief of staff, which has been rumored for a, a good year now, um, we have some some good perspective on it from uh, Senator John Thune, who is now in the very top rungs of Republican leadership on Capitol Hill. Uh, Capitol Hill looked to John Kelly uh, as sort of a source of stability. Um, in managing the president's relationship with Capitol Hill, uh, what will Nick Ayers, if he is indeed the replacement vice president, uh, the current chief of staff to the vice president, Nick Ayers, uh, is rumored to be the replacement there uh, for Kelly. Um, we're also going to talk about these or com convulsions in the global markets with Christine Lagarde, the director of the IMF. Uh, the trade dispute with China, what's the future of it? Senator Marco Rubio, who's been pushing legislation to try to block Chinese telecom firms from functioning here in the U.S., is also going to be joining me. And get ready for a slew of headlines from the special counsel today as that filing happens uh, this afternoon. We'll get more details of who he is working with um, and exactly what Michael Cohen, the president's personal attorney, has provided in terms of evidence. So Adam Schiff, uh, who is going to be the key position on House Intel, will be joining us uh, to connect those dots for us as well. Margaret, that sounds like an extraordinarily busy agenda for your show. Uh, just sticking with, it, with the, yeah. news, <laughs> the, the news of the day with John Kelly, uh, what's the expectation in Washington for the, for the type of replacement that, uh, that uh, the president may be looking for? Um, you know, John Kelly initially was thought as, a, as you mentioned, uh, someone uh, some, brings some stability and uh, uh, discipline to the White House. What, what is the expectation for the type of replacement that the president may be looking for? Well, look, the president often uh, likes to make multiple headlines in one day. So we, we do have to focus on a number of things today. Uh, this may be a distraction from the Mueller probe, but this is a plan that the president has been um, really talking about for a while here in terms of shaking up his own staff. Yes, he had 
said publicly that John Kelly would stay until 2020, but we're hearing that departure may be as soon as today and that the most likely replacement would be the vice president's chief of staff, Nick Ayers. Nick's an interesting choice. He's a young up-and-comer in the Republican Party, a key uh, fundraiser as well. Uh, he worked for, for Tim Paul Lenti. He has uh, worked for... Uh, uh, then Governor Purdue, who's now uh, the Agriculture Secretary. So he's got some intimate uh, experience in terms of the internals of Republican politics, yeah. uh, but more traditional ones, not Trumpian ones. Uh, whether or not he can uh, institute order, uh, you know, that's been sort of the, the wish of so many Republicans on Capitol Hill that they'll see a more traditional president. I don't think that's a realistic expectation, but perhaps he can manage the relationships with Republican leaders on Capitol Hill a bit more uh, in terms of helping to broker any kind of uh, legislation in the new Congress with a Democratic majority in the House. Margaret, just 30 seconds here. How much does Capitol Hill care about the market turmoil that we've seen? It's gotten it's certainly gotten attention on Capitol Hill, but these concerns about telecom companies like Huawei, um, have been of concern to those on the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, like Marco Rubio, like Mark Warner, a Democrat as well, because uh, they believe that they are not just a threat to American businesses, but a threat to U.S. national security. And that's yeah. what we're going to dig into uh, on Sunday. Margaret Brennan, thank you so much for being with us. You can hear Margaret Brennan this weekend on Bloomberg Radio. Listen to Face the Nation Sunday at 2 p.m. in New York, Washington, D.C., and now Bloomberg 106.1 Boston Newbury Report. That's Face the Nation this Sunday at 2 on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.